Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. I am the man, sick with the slang, sick and I'm destined for fame. Do for the fam, not for the gram, stunt me a destined for pain. I do not front, I do not scam, put some respect on my name. What's up, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls around the world? I would like to welcome you back to the Real Talk with Zuby podcast. Now, on today's episode, we have got on a very special guest. She is an advocate for survivors of human trafficking, and this is the one and only Eliza Blue. Welcome to the show. Zuby, thank you so much for having me. It's an absolute honor, Eliza. So it's for people who well, <laughs> So for people who aren't familiar with who you are, tell them a little bit about who you are and what you do. Yeah, uh, I'm a survivor advocate for those affected by human trafficking, and I'm also a survivor of human trafficking. So um, I do quite a few things, but predominantly I'm just a survivor advocate um, and serve survivors locally. Uh, I also sort of I, I focus on survivor aftercare, and I also focus on human trafficking, specifically in the digital space on our social media platforms. That's a little bit awesome. of what I do. I got you. And what was it that got you involved in this space to begin with? Yeah, well, being a survivor uh, of human trafficking, after I had the opportunity to be free, um, I wanted to give back and uh, sort of pay it forward a little bit. So I started volunteering. And after I started volunteering, uh, I, I moved actually after that, and I volunteered for another organization. And then uh, they asked if they could send me to school to become a survivor advocate. And I said yes. And uh, so that sort of started a whole new chapter of my journey. Um, it's been pretty incredible, Azubi. I'm not going to lie. It's been pretty incredible. I'm grateful. That's awesome. And uh, before we get into stuff in detail, when you say the term human trafficking, what exactly is meant by that? Because that's a term and a phrase that people hear, but it doesn't always translate directly, I don't think, especially when you talk about digital human trafficking and things like that. Great question. I'm glad you asked because sometimes I put the cart before the horse and start talking like everybody knows everything that I know. Uh, human trafficking means force, fraud, or coercion for the sale of labor or sex. The UN definition includes the black market sale of human organs. In the United States, it's considered a different crime, the black market sale of human organs. Human trafficking also includes child soldiers, child begging, um, human trafficking in the digital space would be more like sexual exploitation in, in the digital space, which would include child sexual abuse material. Um, some folks call it child porn, but child sexual abuse material, child sexual exploitation material, um, illegal adoption would also be included as well. So that's it's a pretty it is the most broad and nuanced crime. I think sometimes where I fault. Uh, one of my faults is that I bounce around and can be talking about any aspect of the crime at any particular time. And uh, I expect folks to be able to keep up. And sometimes myself, I have to reel it back a little bit and say, oh, yeah, like folks aren't as accustomed to this crime. 
Um, I think it's really important to talk about different aspects of the crime because uh, folks don't understand. And I also think it's important to talk about different aspects of the crime because it helps survivors uh, self-identify and then they're more willing, they're more willing and uh, equipped to step forward and self-identify and ask for help. I get that. So when you say human trafficking, we're talking about a pretty broad range of different things, because I think when people hear the term, they think of like a very physical, they, they kind of just think of the, the purely physical aspect, you know, I don't know whether that's capturing people and sort of taking them over a border to sell them or something like that. But actually, it's a much broader scope than that, from what I understand. Yeah, it can look different depending on the situation and no survivors. There are no two survivor stories who are that are the same. I think that a large portion of the uh, misunderstanding of the crime lays on the shoulders of the corporate press in Hollywood. Uh, they only show the over uh, sensationalized versions of the crime. Um, but sort of a little bit more lately, I've seen more realistic interpretations of the crime. And for that, I'm really happy. But when I say that it's the fault of the corporate press, you know, I'll have a story that I want to post um, that is a legitimate story. Uh, here in the United States from a corporate media outlet, and the imagery used will be that of a white girl with ropes around their wrists. Statistically speaking, this does not match what we're seeing, and it actually usually typically doesn't match the story that they're talking about. So they just go to search images that go with human trafficking, and uh, they'll post that image. But what that does is sort of perpetuate this narrative that it's always a kidnapping situation, um, that it's always a sort of... Um, Slave, uh, slavery situation in the in the way where you you would see change. You think of someone like chained up in a basement. That's not statistically what we see in the United States. What we see more statistically is the abuser, the trafficker, grooming an individual um, and selling them a dream and having a relationship, building trauma bonds with the, with the victim and sort of a Stockholm syndrome and uh, and. The survivor or victim while they're being trafficked actually has the opportunity to walk free. So, um, for instance, in my case, um, I at no point did not have a cell phone or the ability to walk into a police station. I had that strong of a trauma bond with my former abuser that I did not want to leave, nor did I self-identify as being a victim of human trafficking. So, um, And I was an adult in that particular case. So um, I think that when you're dealing with children, it's even more complex. And um, when you talk about those trauma bonds with abusers, I think, I don't know, I, I just, so I, I really started noticing a lot of these gaps in education, prevention, and awareness, which I truly think is the key to um, education, prevention, awareness, strong communities, um, a support system, strong families are truly how we will end this crime or make a serious dent. Mm. I'm curious with, with what you just said there, how, where is the delineation between a bad or perhaps somewhat abusive relationship and actual criminal activity? Well, I, there are all different types of abuse. So do you sure. mean like mental abuse? Because a lot of times human trafficking victims will self-identify first as domestic violence victims or domestic okay. violence survivors or sexual assault survivors. 
So mm. oftentimes it takes someone explaining the crime. Are you saying like what, what makes it human trafficking? So say, for example, there's a situation where violence itself is not, is not used um, and perhaps it's more coercive and manipulative. Where is the line between just say, I don't know, a, a messed up relationship and actual human trafficking? So that's a deep question, Zuby. People usually yeah. don't ask questions that deep. I love it. That's why uh, it's called Real Talk. Yeah, I love it. Um, so coercion for um, some type. Okay, I forgot to add one more thing into into the um, definition. By, by law, anyone uh, engaging in commercial sex under the age of 18 in the United States is also considered a victim survivor of human trafficking. So no one under the age of 18 in the United States can engage in commercial sex. Quick um, question. Sorry. Sorry yeah. to jump in on that. What what if they're doing that supposedly on their own accord and no one else is in involved in that? Or does that under not the matter? Age of 18 under all circumstances. Just all circumstances. Okay. Correct. Because the uh, the idea there is that children cannot consent. Sure. Gotcha. So um, I'm just trying to I'm just trying to understand the the scope of the term. That's what I'm trying to understand. Yeah, it's it's really broad. Um, you know, children cannot consent. You know, and then when once you turn 18. Then you have different definitions for those engaging in survival sex um, and those engaging in willing adult sex work or willing adult entertainment. So there's mm. both under the age of 18, it's always considered a victim of human trafficking. Under Even law. if that way. OK, sorry, I'm, I'm trying. I'm not trying to stick on this point. I'm just trying yeah. to get clear here because in the U.S., the age of consent isn't it's not over 18 in every state, is it? Yeah. Uh, OK, the age of what consent is, is 18, but the age of consent is 18. But in certain states, you can uh, marry under a, under the age of eighteen to mm. an adult. Yeah, this is why I'm trying to I'm trying to get my head around how they're how they're defining these terms because it seems a little gray and confusing to me. Well, you can marry a child in certain states, but a child cannot engage in. So, I mean, right now the way that the law is written is you cannot sell sex. Anyway, that's already a crime, mm -hmm. um, you know, in the United States period. So selling sex already in the United States is considered a crime. Um, I personally have no opinion on what willing adults do, um, but I'm not the law. So I'm just talking about the law. Um, mm. So but you can but you can marry a child in some states, not all under the age of 18. OK. That's okay. So in terms of the scope of the problem, the <laughs> no, that's, a, that's all right. No, I'm, it just seems like it seems like the laws and definitions are kind of clashing to me. So that's why I'm just trying to trying to gain some clarity on this. Um, but in terms of the, the scope and scale of the problem, what are we what are we talking about here in a country like the USA or another Western country? What is the scope and nature of this issue? The scope and the nature of the issue is absolutely massive. Uh, it's completely out of control. We're looking at a war on drugs 2.0. Um, you know, projection, they talk numbers. You know, it's going to be really difficult always to get defined numbers, but 40.3 million globally is the estimated projection of what we're looking at those that are trapped in modern day slavery. Um, in the United States, 
It looks a little different than it will in Nigeria and other countries. But I think regardless of what it looks like in one country, uh, we are looking at a human rights violation. So, um, so it's in the United States, um, especially when you uh, impose government lockdowns um, and folks can't work or you make other rules um, imposed on folks by the government, it increases situations like human trafficking. So when folks are already vulnerable, you know, you have your vulnerable populations. When folks are already vulnerable, they become more vulnerable to exploitation. Then you have other issues like our border crisis, which is a complete and utter, utter humanitarian crisis. Um, and other issues as well, Zuby, it's a mess. It's a mess. Mm. It's a complete mess. And I, I feel, mm -hmm. this is just me, and I don't feel like, you know, my cause or my issue is like the most important issue in the entire world. But I feel that um, it should be on the tip of everyone's tongues because it is indeed modern day slavery. And, um, you know, it makes me pretty upset that folks are so quick to talk about um, injustices of the past while so blatantly ignoring this horrific human rights violation in the United States. I mean... On top of it, Zuby, you know, we could talk about countries like North Korea. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, that's an entire country of mm -hmm. human trafficking victims. Um, you know, but folks don't want to talk about that. The, the issues that are going on in China with certain populations there. I mean, it's mm -hmm. pretty bad, Zuby. Absolutely. Bad. So when you use the term modern day slavery... Are we using that as a synonym for human trafficking or is that a subsection of it? That would be like a, instead of saying human trafficking, modern day slavery, just to put it in a different context for folks. Awesome. Well, th thanks for thanks for defining that. One question I, I have, and this is kind of leading on from some of the. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry to interrupt you, Zuby, but I think we should go back to, to that coercive question because you started there. Mm. And that's a really deep question that I don't even know if I've unpacked. So it might be fun to talk about that a little bit. Yeah, sure thing. Because what, what I'm actually wondering is, and I think this perhaps can, I see a both a pro and a con in this in terms of the wider discussion, but I'm wondering if the, the definition as it's being used is perhaps too broad. Because it sounds like, to me, there's like a real big difference between, I don't know, someone being kidnapped and sold as a as a sex slave or something like that or even being so, sold into forced labor versus a you know to me even that's a different thing to i don't know say like some type of illegal pornography which is also different to a relationship where someone has the ability to leave but perhaps they're bonded to the person like they're not really being held in captivity realistically but they're in some kind of weird, coercive, abusive relationship. To me, these these all sound like quite different things. So I sometimes wonder if having them all under this banner of modern day slavery and or human trafficking is perhaps just too too broad. I think when things are too broad, it becomes hard for people to really understand and define what's going on. I agree with you 100%. And I've been a strong advocate for breaking up the crimes. I mm. think that it is too broad. I think that the... It's, it's too difficult for folks to understand. And the main goal is to get as many people out of exploited, exploitative situations as possible. 
-hmm. So um, if folks cannot self-identify because it's too confusing, then how can we make progress? So I have many, many times advocated for uh, to break up at least, you know, the definition of the crime or how it's seen in. Um, but it's it's really, really hard to make any type of progress with this. There's a lot of red tape. And, um, you know, I'll be honest, because of the money involved in this crime, uh, it behooves on those that are trading in humans or exploiting others to uh, keep it confusing, to keep it under wraps, to keep it quiet. Um, they don't want you, you know, predators do not want you to understand this crime. So, uh, so I, and it's just, it's really difficult, Zuby, because it's like, the more I get involved in these things, the more I'm like, holy Toledo, it's going to be a long time before we can make progress. And then with all the chaos going on in the world, everything that happens in the world directly impacts those who are most vulnerable, of course. And of course, it affects human trafficking victims. So that's why I keep going back. You know, the lockdowns were horrific for human trafficking and those facing abuse and exploitation. You know, traffickers didn't stop making money during 2020 and 2021. They did not stop business as usual. But everything that we do here in the United States and around the world directly impacts human trafficking. So I really try to keep an eye on things. It's rough, Zuby. I'm not going to lie. It's really rough. I understand. No, I understand. And uh, it's why I wanted to speak to you on this issue. It's not something... Yeah that's been discussed on this podcast at all. So narrowing in on your home country of the USA, what does human trafficking typically look like there? Because again, I think it can get confusing for people. Um, if you're talking about modern day slavery in a country like the USA or the UK, because people are like, wait, what are you, what are you referring to? What are you, what are you talking about? Like where, where are all these slaves? Um, so when you use that terminology in the US, what does that, what does that typically look like? Because you already said that it's it's not that situation necessarily of someone being tied up with rope like yeah. someone might imagine. Uh, so what does that look like? Yes, yeah, statistically speaking, it would be uh, black girls and women uh, groomed and exploited for sex, predominantly girls. Um, that's what our data and statistics show us. Um, so that's one of the reasons why I try to speak out so much. But... Uh, generally, it's a crime that affects women and girls, but mm -hmm. men and boys can be exploited as well. Um, and so if we talk about sex trafficking, uh, it would typically be a grooming process, um, not necessarily a kidnapping process. So the, although that can happen, kidnapping does happen uh, roughly around three, you know, about 300 uh, individuals a year, statistically speaking, for the last 10 years have been kidnapped and, mm -hmm. and it's happened that way. But generally speaking, what we're seeing is um, just predators grooming vulnerable individuals. And when I talk about grooming, this confuses people a little bit. Um, what I mean grooming is a predator trafficker will identify vulnerabilities in a potential victim um, and spend the time uh, learning how to exploit those vulnerabilities for their use. And uh, a lot of times uh, Facebook and other social media platforms play a large role in this because the, you know, folks post, um, especially the youth will post, um, you know, Oh, I hate my parents. 
You know, mm -hmm. I want to dye my hair green. Oh, I'm not happy. I want to leave my school. The predator will watch for that, look for that, pick up on that, and start to communicate with ch with a child or children in multiple cases, and um, figure out what they want and what they need, and then sell them the dream. Mm -hmm. And um, and then it's, you know, it's anybody's guess. So that's what, you know, folks like to focus on like the global elites and the Epstein case was great at exposing uh, what that can and does look like, but that is not necessarily what it is. Also, we see, um, you know, parents trafficking their own children for drugs, money, medicine, housing, um, that happens quite frequently in low-income and impoverished areas, um, both rural and urban. Uh, and also, statistically speaking, the victim knows their abuser. So this mm. is, they, it'll be either be a caregiver, a parent, or somebody that they've developed a relationship with in some other way. Yeah, I understand it, that. Yeah, it's, it's pretty complex. Um, and that's why it's difficult for survivors to step forward. Labor mm. trafficking is going to be a little bit different. Okay. So it sounds like an issue that, to me, it seems fairly clear if you're talking about someone who is underage, um, how the sort of criminal element of this plays out. If you're talking about someone who is above the age of consent, you're talking about an adult then where is the line there in terms of I'm trying to understand I'm just trying to get an understanding around what what is considered what's considered grooming or exploitation specifically if you're talking about a an uh you know a consenting adult with all of their cognitive faculties where where's that line that it becomes you've moved into criminal activity Do you kind of see what I mean? Oh, yeah, I see what you're saying. This yeah. Is hard, this yeah. is a hard question, even for me. Mm. Um, it, it basically, you're saying define exploitation or what would exploitation mean and what... Yeah. What yeah, I say, I say this because I think, uh, unfortunately, in the modern day time we live in, even terms like, terms like abuse and exploitation get abused and exploited. Right. I, so that can be. I totally agree with you, and mm. uh, I never would want someone to. I mean, so okay, is there an exchange for money, goods? I always say, if you're working and you don't get to keep the money, that's pretty much answers it right there. But human trafficking can ex can have an exchange of goods or other services of value. So you, there mm. doesn't need to be an exchange of money to uh, be considered human trafficking under the United States law. Mm. Um, but I always say, if you're working and you're not getting to keep the money, that's pretty much it. You know, if okay. people have you in debt bondage or some other type of... So so what that would look like is if, if you and I started dating and you and I got into a financial situation where you were like, hey, just go sell your... You know, just go, hey, look, we need to feed, we need to feed ourselves today. And I think if you went and sold sex, we could, um, we could at least feed ourselves today. Um, but the difficulty is 
if I come home from exchanging that activity and I give you the money and I don't get to keep any, um, or if I don't even get to keep a large portion of it, that's where it could turn into an exploitive situation. So if you are in a relationship or something that you think is a relationship and you aren't getting to keep uh, whatever goods, services, or things of value are exchanged, to make profit for the relationship in some way, it could be exploitative. These are difficult questions, Zuby. I mean, to be brutally honest, mm. I function in a world where it's it's cut and dry. It's no question. It's like okay. a child is sex. It's like a child is uh, is raped, and the rape is put up on Twitter, and we can't get Twitter to take it down. So it's like in mm. my world, it's so crystal clear. I don't, um, I don't worry too much about splitting hairs, but I think that your questions are very valid and I would never want someone to be accused uh, of something that didn't happen. Um, and I feel that when you, when you talk about uh, willing adults engaging in different activities, that is where the area gets really great. Sure. And there's definitely a lot of argument there, but I don't really function in a world where there's any question. It's like, definitely yeah, I get you. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I understand that totally. There, like I say, it's a, in, in terms of the, it's, it's a bit about the understanding of the, the terminology and the, the crime itself. Like the example you just made, like everyone knows, boom, cut and dry. Obviously, obviously that's a crime on multiple levels. Right, um, and we can't even get the world to end that. Yeah, like, okay. And that, so that's kind of where I'm like, I can't even get the world to pay attention to like the clear cut, full blown, a parent ch- selling their child for sex, for drugs. Mm-hmm. I can't even get the world to pay attention to that. So, um, but I think that if someone has a question as to whether or not they're in an exploitative relationship, chances are pretty good that they are. You know, it doesn't necessarily mean that you want to press charges, but mm-hmm. if you're questioning whether or not your partner is exploiting you for labor or sex, chances are pretty good that they are and I would make a safety plan and, and decide to leave. Mm. That's an interesting one. I mean, I, st- I stay away from these situations in general myself, but um, I, 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 I've, I, I just feel again, I just, I just feel like it's really broad. It, it seems like it's really broad. I think it's, it's always dangerous when you get into a territory where um, a definition is too broad for, for two reasons. Cause number one, you know, things can be uh, end up being considered sort of crimes or immoral, like things that are wrong when they're not really, when that's not really accurate. But also I think coming back to your, your point around getting people to pay attention, I think it's much easier to get people to pay attention when you go more narrow. Um, it's a bit like we, to, to, to go a little bit left field, but I think it's relevant. It's a bit like when people talk about things like systemic or institutional racism or sexism, but they never, they never define actually, what specifically you're talking about, which system, which institution, which individual, which company, which group, if you just kind of throw it out there, then people are like, well, what, what do you mean? Like, what, what exactly are you calling that term? So I'm kind of a fan of like pretty narrow definitions where you can get everybody on board and everyone agrees, okay, we can all agree that this is wrong. And then we can see once everyone recognizes that and is aware of it, then you can kind of move forward with a solution. 
Yeah, I agree for sure. And I would solely focus on the child sexual abuse material. So my primary focus of my main thing that I work on is the child sexual abuse material, specifically in the digital space. Cut and dry. You'd think that would be cut and dry. Yes, it it is. Not even, you would think that would be cut and dry, but even that comes with its complexities. And so that's why on Twitter, I do try to show, um, you know, different news articles of the crime so that folks can hopefully read them and understand, okay, this is what that looks like. Um, and these are some examples of what human trafficking can look like. I mean, and back to the other thing, I mean, I always say if if you're questioning whether or not, and because I, I have survivors ask me all the time, like, do you think I'm a survivor or do you think, I'm like, if you're even questioning whether or not your romantic relationship is exploitative or whether or not your um, work relationship is is possibly human trafficking, I would suggest it's probably still not a healthy relationship regardless. And it's good mm. to um, to step away. So, I agree with that. And coercion, honestly, uh, Zuby, coercion is very, very complex. It's mm. supposed to be. These predators are masters at manipulation. Um, you know, I, a, a lot of folks know about the Epstein, but when you look at Ghislaine Maxwell, I mean, what a master of manipulation and coercion. Um, I believe that Epstein specifically used females to uh, recruit and groom other females for his purposes and so on and so forth. So um, these individuals, and I think that they're a good sort of, everybody can look at that and say, oh yeah, okay, I kind of know that story now, at least a little bit, or at least we know a little bit about this story. that is sort of what all human trafficking looks like. Someone is grooming another individual and then it just sort of keeps going. So coming back to the main thing that you said is your your core focus, which is, um, you know, child sex imagery online. What is the what's the scale of this issue? And number two, what are the barriers that you're finding in making headway on this, because this seems like something that everybody who is aware that it exists, everybody's against this one. This is very uh, nonpartisan here. Yeah, hundred um, percent. So what we're looking at as far as, so we'll have our new numbers from 2021 in January, but uh, it, as far as 2020 is concerned, over 65 million child sexual abuse material images and videos were reported to the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. 65 million. That's just here in the United States. Oh, just in the U.S. Okay. Yes, that's just here in the United States. So the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children is where all digital child sexual abuse material is reported. um, And that's just what was reported. So that's not total. So 65 million Mm. over 65 million. Uh, Facebook reported 20 million of those. Um, In Twitter's case, it's uh, 65,000. Oh, they reported just over 65,000. So those are just some numbers. Uh, In the case of Apple, they, I think it was like 233 child sexual abuse material reports. Um, Mm So there are a lot of issues with this. Partly, my main issue with this is that it, it's not a 
dark web crime that a lot of folks think it is. It's right up on the main and it's not hard to find. Um, not that I would encourage anyone to go look for it, but um, you know, in, so about seven and a half months ago, Facebook implemented new proprietary tools uh, that resulted in over 30 million profiles of child sexual exploitation being removed from uh, both Instagram and Facebook. So, mm -hmm. uh, so I believe that the 2021 numbers are going to be off the charts. Now, how many of those uh, images and videos are duplicates? I don't know. Uh, a lot of this information is kept very quiet by the organizations that, uh, that collect this imagery. But uh, so we know already that Facebook, it, within a three month period, found 30 million profiles that had child sexual abuse material imagery on it just in the last few months. Um, we are slated to have the most, I believe in 2021, we're looking at a 400% increase, reports to the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, um, as opposed to 2020, which was 65 million. So a 400% increase is what, um, is what NECMAC, the, the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, is reporting. Um, you know, the reports, in a way, when people hear those numbers, it's um, it sounds so horrible. I look at the reports as a good thing, but it mm -hmm. is a harsh indicator as uh, what's really going on on our big tech and social media platforms. Some of the barriers that we have are that uh, social media platforms care more about um, virtue signaling in our face and removing voices that they don't like and censorship uh, as opposed to removing actual human rights violations that are already in progress and that they're profiting off of. Uh, and so the technology that they've been using was designed in 2008. It's called Microsoft Photo DNA. It was a great technology when it, when it launched. It's still a great technology today. Uh, and then a lot of these uh, platforms have other proprietary tools that they uh, use on top of it, which is why I'm saying Facebook added their extra tools, which I think is great. Mm -hmm. I'm really grateful that they did that. I think what they did really worked very well. Um, but it almost is not enough. It'll never, uh, it's just not enough. Um, so the difficulty that we have and that survivors have and that minors have is that when they report, uh, these platforms are not um, making these reports of child sexual exploitation um, top priority. They have other mm. priorities. And um, I understand that. So when you say something like Facebook identified 30 million profiles, are these I mean, are these sort of real human profiles primarily? Or, I mean, we live in this world where there's all these bots and sort of spam profiles and automated stuff and duplication. Do we, is there any indication of to how much of this is like real world people kind of finding this and sharing it and posting it versus some sort of bot farm that's just there to cause trouble? Do you see what I mean? I, yeah, I see exactly what you mean. Uh, Facebook did a really good job on breaking down exactly what those profiles were. I think that they did in a blog that they have that's publicly available. Um, I think that they did a really good job too, because what folks have to understand is that not only is it uh, adults sexually abusing and exploiting minors, um, but it's also minors sharing exploitation images of themselves. Mm. 
And then one other difficulty that we have is that when folks encounter this material, this abuse material, um, they share it to draw attention to it so that it's reported uh, inadvertently re-exploiting those minors. So, yes. um, so it's I, a whole hot mess. Yeah, I was <laughs> going to say, because by someone doing that, they themselves are potentially getting themselves in trouble, right? Because... I mean, I, I know that there are places I don't know in the U.S., but there can be situations where even if you have an image on your phone, even if someone, I don't know, say someone someone WhatsApped or Telegrammed you some nasty image or whatever, and it's now on your phone. You might not even know it's on your phone, um, but there, I believe there are jurisdictions where just that in itself, you, you've committed a crime by someone else sending you something. Maybe they wanted, sent it as a warning, or maybe they said like... You know, for whatever reason it is, uh, malicious or totally innocent. Um, so that in itself, I can see being quite a hurdle for people because, I mean, I guess there's a way to directly report it. With, if, if you see it on Facebook or Twitter, there's obviously tools that you can report directly to that company. Um, but in different settings, that may not always be easy for people to do. Well, you run into issues where children are reporting their own child sexual abuse material. And just imagine how difficult that is to navigate. In the Mm. case of Twitter, I had to report child sexual exploitation material last night. It was an entire profile of um, very explicit images of very young children. Um, And it's it's a complete separate form. Twitter does not make it easy for even me as an adult, as an advocate who's done it a million times, to do this, uh, to do these reports. Um, but just imagine if you were a child and then once it's reported, these tech companies are not prioritizing. And by the way, yes, under all circumstances, having any type of child sexual abuse material, child sexual exploitation material on any device is illegal. Yeah. Yeah. Wrong. And you should report it immediately to all proper authorities. Mm-hmm. Wow. This is a, yeah, it's a, I can see how this is a, how this is a mess. And I think something that I think because of the very nature of the issue as well. So I think it kind of some of these stats will sound confusing to people because, for example, I mean, I've been on Twitter for I've been on Twitter for 11 years. I've been on Facebook for 15 years and I have never not I have never once seen any of this stuff. Uh, Thank God. Obviously, I'm not there looking for it. Um, (laughs) But, you know, I mean, I've seen stuff pop up that I I didn't want to see, but it kind of popped up on my thing. Um, so I think the vast majority of people will be thinking, wait, how can the problem be this sort of scale if I, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not seeing this, like I've never come across this. So most people will be thinking, Hey, like, well, they must be doing a decent job of keeping it away from people. If people are not sort of seeing it passively, if you see what I mean. Yeah, a hundred percent. And my answer to that is I've never seen a murder, but I believe that they happen. And I believe the data and statistics from the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children and also from Twitter as well makes all of these numbers publicly available. Um, you know, I, I don't go looking for it either. Um, sometimes folks uh, forget that I'm a survivor and start tagging me and stuff because they know I know what to do. Um, for okay. me personally, I would much rather not see it. I was, uh, you know, it just, it never will, I'll never get used to seeing that type of stuff. Um, there are folks that are probably a little bit better to equip. I would never under any circumstances recommend a survivor of any sexual abuse or sexual assault 
go ever look at any of this stuff. But I mean, so, um, you know, Twitter reported in 2020 over 65,000 child sexual abuse material. Now, since then, India has been doing a really good job of keeping tabs on Twitter. So not only uh, they, they've now increased it about 5,000 more, it seems, uh, a month. But we'll have the actual numbers of 2021 um, in January. Yeah, folks probably haven't seen it. And I think that that's great, but they're probably also not looking for it or trading it in this in this material. So that's mm-hmm. a good thing. But um, there are a lot of things I don't see on Twitter. And then I stumble onto something and I'm like, whoa, this is a whole separate Twitter. I didn't even mm-hmm. know it existed. Um, you know, we get into other issues like... Um, being able to tell whether or not someone is uh, 18 or not. Um, but I think the quintessential example of the of Twitter's problem is the John Doe number one and the John Doe number two case. Um, their child sexual exploitation material was watched on Twitter over 160,000 times, retweeted over 2,000 times. And despite multiple reports, and including government photo identification, Twitter refused to take it down. So, I mean, when folks say, oh, I've never seen it. Well, over 160,000 people saw these two Mm. minor male survivors being exploited on Twitter, despite multiple reports that the Department of Homeland Security had to step in in that case to get them to take it down. So, yes, folks may not be seeing it, but it is there. And I Mm. think the longer uh, we keep acting like it's not there these predators and these folks that trade in this uh want us to not know that it's there and these are all issues that have been uh had extensive uh investigative journalism done by the new york times um so it's not like it's it's hidden in the shadows yeah can you talk a little bit more about this specific case i don't think most people would be familiar with that sure yeah john doe number one and john doe number two are suing twitter um, it has actually ended up, you know what, Zuby, this is a, a little bit of a white pill. It's a big white pill for me. Uh, this case has ended up sort of being a touchstone for many cases uh, that survivors are suing platforms and just human trafficking cases as a whole. Um, it is in the process of, um, it's in the midst of a legal process, and I don't want to speak too, too much on the case. But I will say that a judge has decided uh, that that Twitter has knowingly worked with traffickers, which is a really big deal. Um, This will be the first uh, of its kind in the United States, and it's been cited in four other human trafficking cases since then. These uh, brave young men uh, were both 13 years old in in a child sexual exploitation video that ended up on Twitter. And like I said, despite multiple reports, Twitter reviewed the content and decided not to take it down. They reviewed the content with John Doe number one's government photo identification. So the difficulty that we have, um, so, you know, this is where the conversation gets kind of interesting. You know, in the United States, uh, because in in different countries, it's a little different, but in the United States, uh, Twitter is granted uh, Section 230 protection. But human trafficking is not one of those areas that's covered. In 2018, Donald Trump signed into effect FOSTA-SESTA, um, and FOSTA-SESTA stopped enabling sex trafficking act. 
and uh, it made it so that uh, these platforms could not post this content and get away with it. And if they knowingly, so as far as I'm concerned, Zuby, as far as if the video is posted to Twitter, I'm not going to blame Twitter. Like Twitter didn't post the video, right? It's yeah. not like Twitter corporate sat there and posted the video. The second that the second that that video was reported was the second that Twitter knowingly had hosted that video and profited off that video because mm-hmm. with all of our tweets, all of our videos, all of our posts, and all of our profiles, Twitter profits off this uh, with different advertisers and things like that. So, um, yeah, I, Twitter will be held responsible. Um, and it, they are not the only platform that's being sued. So I, I hate to always single them out, but they just seem to have the worst reporting system and one of the worst response times of all, um, of all platforms. You know, when you contrast that with a platform like Minds, I know you're on Minds, I'm on Minds. Um, you know, Minds has a separate reporting system for each type of uh, sexual exploitation, and it's very easy to click through. I uh, walked through this one day with the uh, with one of the C- the CEO of Minds. We walked through the process together. I absolutely fell in love with their reporting system process, and it gave me hope that that's what uh, social media platforms could look like in the future or would look like in the future. I hear that. So in the Twitter situation, I know, you know, maybe you don't want to speak on this exactly, but do you think that, is there any possibility this could be, um, you know, an oversight or, or negligence, or do you think that this was just, they, they, they specifically wanted to keep it up or, you know, they wanted to profit from it or something like that. Do you think it was, the intent was malicious or pure incompetence? Is there any... I mean, it sounds it sounds malicious to me. It sounds like, all right, well, if it got reported that many times and it was kept up there after a review, if that's how it plays out, that sounds obviously like sort of criminal negligence or something malicious to me. Um, Is there any way something like that could just be incompetence or lack of staffing or something like that? They said that they, they wrote the child back and said that they reviewed the content and decided not to take it down. Okay. No, I don't know okay. what else. I mean, what else? <laughs> no, okay. If that if that's the case, then I mean, if you're, seems... I mean, if you're at the point, I mean, if you're at the point as a company where um, where you are reviewing child sexual abuse material, a 13 year old, two 13 year old children with government ID. John Doe was a minor at the time when he was reporting with government ID. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're at the point as a company where a child begging to get exploitation videos down can't have that be your top priority and you and i both know let's keep it all the way real i mean if if john doe number one or john number two if that was a misgendering video Mm -hmm. if that video about racism no question whether or not if that was a video uh talking about certain ideas about health there would be no question whether or not that would be taken down I mean, this isn't an old case. This is like new. This just happened not that long ago. I mean, this mm-hmm. is very recently. It, if you're at the place as a, as a tech company where you cannot prioritize children begging on the brink of suicide to remove their child sexual abuse material, but you can re- remove words, harmful words, yep. you need to prior. you need to read. I mean, I can't. So I don't, yeah, really, no, care. That's... I don't really care. That... I don't really care. 
Oh no, no. To me, to me, to me, that's obviously that's obvious. That sounds like a straight up case of criminal negligence to me. Um, the way you, the way, with, with those additional details, I think I didn't catch on to the fact that it was the the child himself who's reporting it, and then they're writing him back saying like, "No, we're not taking this down." That's a, yeah, that's a that that one looks cut and dry to me. I'm no uh, I'm no legal expert, but that you sounds cut and dry so. to me. You would think so, but Twitter has repeatedly tried to have the case dismissed. Mm-hmm. I mean, on top of you want to talk about on top of all of it, these platforms triple slap these children in the face, these human trafficking victims in the face, and try to fight this in court. I mean, Pornhub mm-hmm. too, Facebook too, all of these platforms fight on top of it. So it's like not only are you just running a horrible show, and you know that's. That's what kills me the most, uh, Zuby, is it's like they have absolutely no problem removing anything about COVID, misgendering. They don't have a problem removing and censoring folks. So why are these children having to beg to get uh, child sexual abuse material videos removed? It's really horrible. But I do have hope. I do have some hope. You got to have hope. You got to have hope. I do have hope. I have hope in that. I have hope in decentralized platforms i believe that big tech is pretty much a thing of the past um i'm watching you know we're all polishing the brass on the titanic so i do have hope that uh moving forward with decentralized platforms that we won't see as many of these issues um they won't be able to flourish i believe i get you i get you you've had some issues yourself with a uh, censorship no What's been the response from some of these platforms with your personal advocacy? Well, I, I've, I've been really lucky. I've never been uh, fully banned except for one time I was um, suspended for using the word Memphis. There was like a glitch in, in uh, Twitter's algorithm that they write. Don't ask the right. You could Google it. It was a whole thing. Anybody that tweeted out the word Memphis that day. And I so happened to be tweeting out a human trafficking story uh, that included the word Memphis in it. So it was weird. I can't. Anyway, yeah, uh, we'll leave that there. Uh, yeah, it's been. I'll just say this, you know, I kind of wish uh, to Twitter, if they were smart, they would have d- deleted and banned me when they had the chance. Now it would be too obvious. But, you know, they do everything that they can do to throttle and censor my voice. And I was really lucky. You know, I watch people like you, Zuby, uh, use Twitter. I will, you know, I watch Michael Malice. I watch Cernovich. I watch, uh, you know, all types of folks use Twitter in a way that sort of taught me how to uh, use Twitter and say what I need to say without getting banned. So uh, they certainly will throttle me down to a nub if they can. <laughs> I'll have days where I'll have like two likes. I'm like, okay, okay, <laughs> all right. <laughs> That's um, I hear that. So Eliza, for people who are just listening to this, most of whom are social media users, what what can the average person do to help with this situation? Because I think that it's one of those things where you know, 100% of people are on board with believing this is wrong, this is unethical, this is immoral. But oftentimes in these situations, whether it's at home or it's abroad, people feel helpless. People don't know what they themselves can really do, even if they're aware of the issue. So do you have any tips or pointers, things that you'd recommend people do? 
definitely educate and raise awareness that folks know that there are resources out there available if they have been exploited in this way. Um, I think it's really, really important to talk about internet safety with the youth. And there are different tools for no matter what age your child is or the child in your life, because uh, I have nephews and nieces, I don't have any children of my own, but uh, no matter what age or learning level that the child in your life is, you can educate them about internet safety. Um, they have everything from cartoons to uh, stuff for, you know, teenagers. I think being involved in your children's lives, um, being, I mean, you would think that would go without, you know, you'd think that'd be obvious, but it's not. And I think that um, folks, parents have a difficult time having these conversations with their, um, with the youth. Mm -hmm. But I think having an open and honest dialogue about what's going on out there and um, also creating, you know, those safe adults in your child's life so that um, if something does happen, if they're approached by someone, if they don't feel comfortable talking to their parents, they could talk to someone else. Um, they, I, I talk a lot about prevention because to me, it's best to prevent the crime before it happens, right? Yes. So it, prevent your child from being exploited before it happens. But first, you have to educate yourself. Also, there are safety features and tools that you can um, use when your children are on devices. But above and beyond anything else, I think it's just having an open and honest and transparent conversation with with your children. I mean, I uh, you don't want to be um, on the receiving end. You don't want to. I always say to, I always say when I'm doing podcasts, like you don't want your kid to have to meet a survivor advocate. Like you don't want your kid to have to meet someone like me. By the time your kid meets a survivor advocate, uh, it's too late. The damage is done and they've been exploited in some way. So that, if we can avoid that, strong, healthy communities, strong, healthy families, um, those are really, really important. Awesome. It's been so great to talk to you, Eliza. For people who want to follow you and find out more about your work, where can they check you out online? Yeah, I'm on Twitter at, at Eliza Blue, E-L-I-Z-A-B-L-E-U. And I'm on Locals, eliza.locals.com. And uh, that's my favorite platform. I'm also on Minds, too. I'm, a, I'm Eliza Blue on Minds as well. Awesome. Eliza, huge respect for all the work that you do. I wish you all the best. And, uh, yeah, I hope together that we can eventually tackle and help to curtail this issue. I'm glad we got to talk about it because uh, it's an important one. Thank you so much, Zuby. I really appreciate you having me on and you have been a big support right along. You were somebody that was on and helping to support me from, uh, but you know, you just, you helped me early on. You were kind of early on to me and what I was trying to do. And, you know, I don't think necessarily you realize how much that type of uh, support helps people out. It helps a lot. So thank you. Awesome. <laughs> You're welcome. Take care. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. 
Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.